0: All right, it is 9.45, so we are going to be faithful to the time. Ladies, my name is Lindsay Bosma, and I want to tell you that I am so happy that you're here with me. I love that all of our churches have come together for this conference and to really spend some time with the Lord and be touched by the Lord. Amen? Amen. Well, I'm also happy that uh, you chose to come to Wounded Warrior, because that is just a workshop that sounds fun and exciting, right? It's a workshop that screams, woo, happy, wounded equals happy. No, it doesn't. Wounded implies pain, to be honest with you. It implies discomfort. It implies hurts. It implies disappointments of the past. It implies scars. So many of us aren't at the workshop because we're like, woo, this is going to be fun and energizing. We're at the workshop because we want to know how do we function As a wounded warrior, what is a wounded warrior? So over the next about 45 minutes, I'm going to ask you to do something that may be a little bit difficult for you to do. And I'm going to ask that you would trust me. And I know that's hard because many of you, most of you, do not know me. I'm going to ask you to be vulnerable with me. Again, I know it's hard because you are, who is this woman standing in front of me? But status or statistics and studies show that if you have a mutual friend that you bring into a conversation, your credibility goes up a little bit. And I want you to know that our mutual friend is Jesus Christ. And our mutual friend is our Savior in heaven who knew that both you and I were going to be in the sanctuary of this beautiful campus together this morning. So I'm asking you to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. I'm asking that just for 45 minutes you would allow me into your life You would allow me into your heart for just a moment because I believe God has something great for us. Amen. Amen. Would you pray with me, please? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for how much you love us. And I ask in the name of Jesus that your presence would bring about God's strength in us. That we would feel comfortable here this morning. I ask in the name of Jesus Christ that all barriers and all boundaries would be removed for this moment in time for us to hear from you. That we would receive healing, we would receive strength and comfort, and that you would minister to us right where we are at because you are that good God. So I love you and I praise you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. So what is a wounded warrior. The wounded warrior. How do I adequately describe to you this morning who and what a wounded warrior is? And I believe that the best way to do that is through story. I want to take you back to 1972. How many are familiar with 1972? I believe we have a picture that we could put up on the screens. Look at those ladies. 1972 in the heart. Chevron stripes. A chevron stripe jumpsuit, aren't they gorgeous? So some of you are wishing that you would have kept your chevron stripe jumpsuit because are they not incredibly trendy right now? Chevron stripes are hot right now, they are trendy. And I say all that because guess what? What is trendy now in 2015, it started back in 1972. There is nothing new under the sun. So our story takes place in 1972 and I'm going to Share this with you. In 1972, a young girl had just turned 12 years old. For many, this age was filled with carefree fun, curiosity, and imagination. Yet our young girl would find herself in the middle of an ugly separation between her mother and father. Her father, in hopes to protect his young daughter from a mother deceived by cultic religion, Moved his children 3,000 miles away because he believed the answer was division. 3,000 miles away from the familiar, from family, from friends, from home, from mother, wounded. At the age of 14, our now teenage girl pleaded with her father, please let me go and live with mother. With much hesitation, her desire was granted and she found herself back home. Yet, home had changed, in fact, it didn't feel like home at all. Mother was never home. Consumed in her false calling, she was never there to be mom. Our teenage girl, now a lonely 14-year-old girl, was devastatingly going to become bait to a praying neighbor. Not the praying to a heavenly father good and kind neighbor, but the prowling like a lion, circling like a vulture, Preying on the weak and vulnerable kind of neighbor. Our 14 year old girl was now a molested girl, and that was not talked about back then. In silence, she suffered, not being a victim only once, but it would happen again and again, wounded. At 17, she found true love, or true love she thought it was, and it came in the form of the high school quarterback, a young and handsome stud. But the young man was not a good man. In fact, it was revealed in his very first slap. Yet our love-starved girl went off and eloped just like that. But that young man was not a good man. Again, and he, I'm sorry, they went off and eloped. The athlete was not a husband. He would be an abuser as a matter of fact. Slapping led to punching. And when that wasn't enough, our young adult woman would be thrown into stuff. A wall, a chair, he did not care. He continued to choke and to hit. Wounded. At 21, she was finally done and the marriage came to an end, yet it wasn't much later that she would soon meet a new man. He was a charming man, a muscular man, one that looked out for the underdog, a defender. And she said to herself, surely he would not harm me. No, not ever. At 23, she became a mother-to-be, and it was here that she witnessed the first fight. Yet it wasn't with her, it was with a man and a pool stick in a bar one night. Yet she was convinced, surely, he would never do that to me. It wasn't long after her, or at 23, the, or I'm sorry, it wasn't long after her baby was born that our young mother received her first her slap. First All too familiar, over the next several years, she would be hurt again and again. One particular night was the most terrible night. See, he was under the influence of something. Yet it would not be the pain of the desk being thrown at her body that made this night so terrible. It would be the realization that someone else was watching. A seven-year-old girl watched from the top of the stairs her father beating her mother. Wounded. This morning I stand with you and I was that seven-year-old girl. And that story of a wounded warrior, hard to get out a little bit, is the story of my mother. That is her true and real-life story. And I want to say that because some of you may be feeling some feelings of familiarity, that you also have suffered wounds of abuse, wounds of neglect, wounds of harm. But others of us, our wounds come more in Wounds of insecurity. Wounds of seeking approval. Wounds of being hurt by harmful words or by tough relationships. But regardless, we all have wounds. Say wounds. Wounds. Why do we have wounds? Why? Because wounds are inevitable. Wounds cannot be avoided. And you and I know better how much we want to go through life unscathed. Don't we want to go through life unscathed? We want to go through life experiencing absolutely no pain, absolutely no harm, and that is just not possible. Why is it impossible to go through life without experiencing any wounds? It's because humanity is sinful. Plain and simple, humanity is sinful. We're going to go to Romans chapter 1, and it's here that the Apostle Paul says, furthermore, in verse 28, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, meaning that men and women did not think that it would be good for their lives to hold on to the knowledge of God. So God gave them over to a depraved mind, which means a corrupt mind, so that they do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. I'm gonna share that with my son as he gets older. (laughs) They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to practice these things, but they also approve of others who practice them. We experience wounds, BECAUSE HUMANITY IS SINFUL. WE LIVE IN A BROKEN AND FALLEN WORLD IN WHICH HUMANITY IS SINFUL. BUT HERE'S WHAT WE TRY TO DO. WE TRY TO LIVE LIFE ON A ONE-WAY STREET. WE TRY TO LIVE LIFE ON A ONE-WAY ROAD THAT HAS ABSOLUTELY NO TURNOFFS, NO STOP SIGNS, NO WAY FOR SOMEONE TO COME ONTO OUR ROAD, AND THAT IS JUST NOT POSSIBLE. YOU AND I LIVE IN A WORLD FILLED WITH INTERSECTIONS. Life. Is filled with intersections and we try to keep ourselves from being wounded by staying on a one-way street, but it is not possible. You and I come to intersections in life. Think of a street. Think of a stop sign and a stoplight. You are either going to cross smoothly through an intersection or sometimes you just might collide, don't we? And that is what happens. What do we collide into? What produces opportunities for us to be wounded? The first is relationships. Think of it. We intersect in relationships of family, of friends. We intersect in the relationships of friendships, of children, whatever it may be. We find ourselves in intersections of relationships. What about work? We intersect with people at work, and that gives us opportunities to have a little bit of wounds, doesn't it? We intersect with deadlines. We intersect with stress. We intersect with problems. Many of you are wonderful problem solvers. Many of you were hired at your workplace because you are a problem solver. But hear me, we intersect with problems which gives opportunities for wounds. But my favorite intersection in life is church. How many of you have ever been wounded in a church? You do not have to raise your hand. But church, church, we intersect a lot. In church and I want to tell you a little bit story about church this past Sunday my husband and I were in Atlanta Georgia and we purposely planned our trip we were there for a conference and we said that we wanted to be there just a couple days early because we wanted to attend not one church but two churches we were going to go all out that day and I got ready I put on jeans nice jeans a nice blouse a pretty necklace and nice shoes and I'm ready to go to church in Atlanta, Georgia. And my husband comes out of the bathroom and he goes, honey, are you wearing that to church? In my mind, I wanted, in my mind, this is what I thought, okay? Of course I'm going to church. (laughs) I'm in Atlanta, Georgia, I'm in a hotel, I brought these clothes. Am I going grocery shopping, husband? I'm not going grocery shopping, I'm in a hotel. Where else am I going to go this Sunday morning when we have to be in church in 30 minutes? But I am a saved woman, a redeemed woman, I'm a woman with self-control, so instead of saying what was going on in my mind in those 15 seconds, I just smiled. (laughs) Do you have another suggestion? And my husband, God bless him, wasn't trying to be mean to me. But he was explaining to me, because he lived in the South before he ever married me, that women don't wear jeans to church. Women wear dresses to church. They wear skirts to church. And he did not want me to stand out and feel Like I am an odd woman out in a group of lovely women. Because don't we look good at church? Come on, you ladies look great this morning. When we are coming into church, we're not coming looking like we just had, you know, a wild evening. No, we're beautiful. Our hair is done, our makeup's on. We saved our favorite shirt for the weekend church. Because that is what we do. We look our best in church. And I always brought some questions to mind because when I think of church, I think of Jesus. And I didn't see people all dressed up and beautiful around Jesus. I saw broken people around Jesus. But yet here we've created a culture that you look your Sunday best. And so I did and I went to Atlanta, Georgia and I changed into my dress and I was freezing cold but I looked good. And yes, my husband was correct. There were women that were beautiful. Last night our speaker talked about Barbie. I saw Barbie all over the place. And gorgeous heels that I would think I would break my ankle in. But hey, she did it. And that's what we do. We are beautiful. So put together on the outside. And I want to take a glance quickly at a woman in the Bible who was absolutely beautiful. And we're going to go to Genesis chapter 12. And it's in Genesis chapter 12 that we find Abraham. We know Abraham. He's our patriarch of faith. And God in Genesis chapter 12 is saying Abraham I'm going to bless you in the way that I'm going to give you many nations. I'm going to make your name famous. I'm going to make your name great and you will be a blessing. Now as we read Genesis chapter 12 when we find the prophetic promises of God over Abraham's life if I would have been writing the Bible if I would have been the author of Genesis I would have put dot 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 by the way Abraham You have a smoking hot wife. By the way, you have already been blessed. Yes, there's prophetic future promises, and that is all fine and dandy, but hear me. In the now, Abraham, you are married to the most beautiful woman who has ever been placed on earth besides Eve before sin. And why am I able to stand up here and tell you that Sarah was the most beautiful woman in all the Bible? Because if you scroll down to verse 10 of Genesis chapter 12, it says this. Then a famine came to the land, and Abram, who we know as Abraham, went down to Egypt to live. It was a hard famine. And as he drew to Egypt, he said this to his wife, Look, I don't like conversations that start with, look. But he says, look, we both know that you're a beautiful woman. Awesome. When the Egyptians see you, they're going to say, "Ah, Ha ha, that's his wife, and they're going to kill me. And But they're going to let you live. So do me a favor. Tell them that you're my sister. Because if you tell them that you're my sister, they will welcome me and let me live. So when Abraham arrived in Egypt, the Egyptians took one look. Not two looks, not three looks. They took one look at Sarah. And they saw how stunningly beautiful she was. Scripture doesn't describe her as just pretty or just cute. She was stunningly beautiful beautiful. And Pharaoh's princes raved over her to Pharaoh, and she was taken to Pharaoh. Sarah was gorgeous. Sarah was stunning. And if you look at Sarah from the outside, she looks very well put together. You know what boggles my mind about this is that when this portion of Scripture was written, Sarah was 65 years old. Gorgeous at 65 years old. Can you imagine what she looked like at 55, 45, 35? 25. Imagine the beauty if she had this much. Bible describes her as having increasing beauty. So if she is that beautiful at the age of 65, imagine when she was in her 20s. But I want you to know that she was not just a beautiful woman. She was a broken woman. And how do I know that? She's barren. She's barren. See, many of us just think, okay, she didn't have a child. But let's take a moment and go back into her shoes. This gorgeous woman in her 20s, married. Oh, Sarah, when you have children, they're gonna be so pretty. Oh, I pray that your daughters have hair just like you. Oh, man, can you imagine if your little baby boy has that skin complexion? Oh, he is gonna be such a good-looking little boy. And for decades, she probably heard comment after comment about how stunningly beautiful her children would be because mom is so beautiful and how blessed and wonderful of a mom she'd be. But she wasn't a mom. She went decades without being a mom, and so although she was stunningly beautiful on the outside, Sarah was broken and wounded on the inside. And I say all that because when our women come through our doors, and especially at church, when they look very well put together, when they look beautiful and they've saved their favorite blouse for Sunday morning, you and I cannot judge them by their exterior. You and I cannot judge them because many of them are just women encased in beauty but are extremely wounded on the inside. And so before we place judgment on somebody's interior based on their exterior, we need to pause and think maybe they're wounded. We just don't know. See, if I was teaching a counseling course today, I would be teaching you how to help women overcome their wounds. But that is not my role this morning. My role this morning is to help you identify your own wounds. Remember, exciting and fun workshop. (laughs) I love you. But we need to first recognize our own wounds. Why? Because there is a reality of wounds. There is a reality of wounds. And nobody wants to be the wounded warrior. We want to be the heroic warrior, don't we? We want to be the warrior with all the badges. How many of you were Girl Scouts? We liked badges. I didn't want a sash without badges. I wanted a badged staff. But nobody wants to be the wounded warrior. Nobody wants to be the hurt warrior. Nobody wants to be the crying warrior. We all want to be the hero. But we have got to recognize wounds in our own life. So how do I know if being here in this room today, I am a wounded warrior? How do I know if I have wounds? Well, guess what? There's telltale signs. Say that 10 times fast. Telltale signs. Are you sensitive? And I'm not talking your hormonal sensitivity, okay? That's okay. (laughs) I'm talking about in general, are you sensitive? And what do I mean by that? Someone who tends to have a wound becomes a little bit sensitive to things that never bothered them before. Let me explain Say we walk into church one morning, and the person who usually always greets us doesn't make eye contact with us, doesn't really say hi to us, but instead she turns over and she whispers something to someone. And if I'm wounded, and if I went in there hurting already in the morning, I may think that this greeter just whispered something to that person about me. Because my wound is now starting to show symptoms of insecurity and sensitivity. And I go into service and I have such a hard time lifting my hands and praising the Lord because all I'm thinking of is, what could she have told her? What have I said or what have I done to make her think that I possibly have something wrong with me or are we friends or, you know, all these insecurities start flooding. When in all reality, that nice greeter went over to her and said, hey, by the way, you got something in your hair. <laughs> I want you to look good, but there's just something stuck in your hair. Let's, let's get that out for you. And she was just trying to be discreet and kind to the person. And she had no No thought or feeling to ignore you in the first place. But we're sensitive. Sensitivity may show that you have a wound. What about sadness? Man, some of us are sad. If you have a deep amount of sadness, I would ask myself, am I wounded somewhere? Pain, unforgiveness, bitterness. These are all telltale signs that there may be an issue in the core of who I am see most of us want to ignore the signs we don't want to admit that we're bitter we don't want to admit that we do not forgive we don't want to admit that something is possibly wrong with us and why because we are always eager to get on with it aren't we women we are busy women we don't have time to deal with wounds no because there are things ahead of us that need to be done and by god i am the only person to get it done so i'm going to move forward And I'm going to be the best mom. I'm going to be the best wife. I'm going to be the best employer. And I am not going to care and tend to myself. Because we're too busy. We're multitaskers. Do you know that multitasking is not a badge to wear? In fact, it should really be um, almost like I have an issue in my life. I need to not multitask. (laughs) And we do this. We do this. Denial is damaging. It's damaging. And we think that we are tough when we ignore the pain in our lives. AND IN FACT, WE'RE NOT BEING TOUGH. SOMETIMES IT TAKES MORE STRENGTH AND MORE COURAGE TO LOOK AT OUR WOUND THAN TO ACT LIKE IT'S NOT THERE AND JUST ENDURE THE PAIN. I WANT TO LEARN A LITTLE BIT FROM SCIENCE RIGHT NOW BECAUSE I BELIEVE WE CAN LEARN FROM SCIENCE. Amen? AMEN? YOU ARE COVERED IN WHAT? YOU'RE COVERED IN SKIN. AND SKIN HAS SEVERAL LAYERS TO PROTECT YOU AS THE HUMAN FROM GERMS. YOU HAVE SEVERAL LAYERS OF WHAT IS CALLED EPIDERMIS. AND EPIDERMIS, ITS ROLE is to keep germs on the outside of your body and keep them from penetrating to the inside of your body. But what happens when skin is broken? What happens when we incur a wound, whether, hear me, small or like ER status, okay? What happens? Germs are now able to go inside your body and they are able to infect your tissue. And if you do not go and get this wound taken care of, these are some things that can happen. Disfigurement. Loss of function, amputation, death from sepsis. What does sepsis mean? It means poisoning. It means that you have now been poisoned in your blood, and it is deadly. But let's take this on a spiritual moment. Let's let's look at it from a spiritual sense. What does the word disfigure mean? It means to mar beauty. What does mar mean? It means damaged beauty. And so if we ignore wounds that have incurred in our lives, hear me, whether they are 30 seconds, or year, or 30 seconds old or they are 30 years old, you and I could be disfigured. Have you ever looked into the eyes of a woman and you just saw pain? Honestly. See, we think that women have to just do drugs to look much decades older than what they are. No. You find a woman who is in a great amount of pain and you are going to see that have an effect on her body. You're going to see a life that does not have joy and in that you have sorrow and your face, your body language. It shows that you are being disfigured by a wound. Loss of function. When my mother was going through the abusive time with my father, I can remember my mom just being in a fetal position on a bed. I remember her just laying in bed. I remember her going from a healthy sized woman to a very very skinny woman and i say that because we have loss of function when we have wounds my mom was a wounded woman in fact my father was not just an abuser my father was a cheater and this was in a time when stds were very very scary aids had just come out people were dying left and right and here my mother thought is this going to happen to me And all she could do was find herself in a fetal position on her bed, not being able to function. She had two small daughters. And yet she could not muster up the strength to take the children to school. Could not muster up strength to have dinner on the table. Ladies, when we do not tend wounds, don't we lose function? We don't want to do anything. When depression sets in, you and I are paralyzed. I don't have the strength. I don't have the motivation. I don't have the drive to do the things which I know need to be done. We are wounded. Goes on to amputation. I wrote down loss of dreams, loss of drive, and then death. Many people are just dead spiritually because wounds have gotten so greatly infected that they have poisoned their entire lives. See, friends, we can't leave wounds untreated. You are not stronger because you can endure pain. Why do we think that pain is a badge of honor? You are not stronger by igno- ignoring your wound and acting as if nothing happened. See, the small ones need attention just as much as the big ones that we're scared to face. Small wounds need attention. So we cannot hold- uphold the appearance that everything is just fine when we are wounded on the inside. I want to show you this video real quick. Shelby was right. This is a brown football. Oh, honey, oh. are you okay? I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I can jog all the way to Texas and Max, but my daughter can she never I want to know why. I want to know why Shelby's life is over. I want to know how that baby will ever know how wonderful his mother was. Will he ever know what she went through? Oh, God, I want to know why. Why? Lord, I wish I could understand. No. 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 It's not supposed to happen this way. I'm supposed to go first. I've always been ready to go first. I don't think I can take this. I don't think I can take this. I just want to hit somebody till they feel as bad as I do. I just want to hit something. I want to hit it hard. Here, hit this. Go ahead, my Slopper. Are you crazy? Hit her. Are you high, Clary? Clary, hey, have you lost your mind? We'll sell t-shirts saying I slapped Weezer Boudreaux. Hit her. Miss Clary, enough. This is your chance to do something for your fellow man. Knock our lights up, Millennia! you just missed a chance of a lifetime. Half a chicken parish should give the eye teeth to take a whack of Weezer. All right. If you have not seen Still Magnolias, I need to take your lady card away from you right now. That is one of the best chick flicks ever, and that is something that my mother, my sister, and I have watched for years and years and years. If you are not familiar with the story, Malin, who is played by Sally Field, had lost her daughter to kidney failure. And actually, this scene is taking place at her daughter's funeral. And Malin is wounded. But Malin is also a, a southern belle. A wonderful put-together woman, and yet here in her brokenness, in her wound, it's starting to show, and you see the battle happening. I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, and then I want to hit something. Sometimes, ladies, we need to be willing to get a little messy. Sometimes you need to put your compact away. Don't worry if your mascara is not waterproof, and actually have a moment where you get gritty with God, and you bear your wounds, whether it is to your Lord and Savior, to a friend, and maybe it even is taking a whack at a weeza. <laughs> but we have got to not face our wounds because we have the idea that we must keep it all together. God wants us to graciously take his hand, fearlessly take his hand, and be able to address some of these things in our lives. And what do I mean by that? As I was praying and praying Preparing this message, I immediately thought of steel magnolias. There was no question about whether or not I was going to use that. And the Lord began to put Psalm 23 on my heart. And I know Psalm 23 well, and it's not because I'm a fierce warrior. It's because I do a lot of funerals. And what is it that I always share at at funerals? It's, It's Psalm 23. And yet God began to convict my heart a little bit, and he said, Lindsay, I want to share with you a new perspective on Psalm 23, because you're used to doing it when something is dead. Hear me, ladies. You are wounded. You are not dead. You're wounded, but you're breathing. You're sitting. Your heart is beating. You are not dead, and so there is still opportunity for great life, and when I began to hear the Lord he showed me how much of a warrior David was. And it is David who is the author of Psalm 23. David was a warrior. David faced a giant. And not only did he have enough guts and courage to face a giant, he killed that giant. And after he killed that giant, the Bible describes him as David has killed his tens of thousands of men. He had loyal and devout men that rallied around him to follow him as a leader, as a warrior, who were willing to risk their lives for him. David was a warrior. But hear me David was wounded. David had an employer that was not too kind to him. And when I mean that his employer was not too kind to him, his employer was Saul and he tried to kill him on several, several attempts and times and circumstances. Not only was David wounded by the cruelty of Saul, his best friend Jonathan died. Ladies, have you ever lost a girlfriend? Ever lost a sister? A friend? David goes on to get involved in extreme moral failure. Fair murder, moral failure. He goes on to lose a baby at seven days old. Women, statistics on miscarriages tell us that one out of four women have lost a baby. I stand here. I've lost. Okay? We've suffered. We're wounded. And not only did he lose a seven-day-old child, his daughter was raped. Not only was his daughter raped, his son hated him. And if you read throughout the Psalms, David's always being chased by somebody. David's always being pursued by the enemy, and he is proclaiming the goodness of God, but the realization that my life is hard, and I am wounded, and I need a God that loves me to come and be real in my life. And so as I looked at this wounded warrior, and I had my moment with God, he said, Lindsay, this wounded warrior has given you a recipe for restoration in Psalm 23. A recipe for restoration. Because hear me, ladies, we cannot get restored on just one ingredient. We have to have a grouping, a beautiful unity and harmony of multiple things for you and I to live out our lives healed and walking in the fullness of God for all that he has for us. So what is restoration? According to Psalm 23, let's open it up. You got your digital Bible, you can scroll there. You will get there faster than us, but hey, it's all right. Psalm 23, and many of you know it by heart. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet or still waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What do we learn as a recipe from Psalm 23 for restoration. Well, let's look at it. Number one, the Lord has got to be your shepherd. Ladies, if the Lord is our shepherd, that means that we submit into him caring and protecting us. If the Lord is our shepherd, that means that you and I are going to come into a submissive, a surrendering relationship where I'm actually going to let him be shepherd. I'm going to let him be this because shepherd has so many attributes so many characteristics that are described here alone in Psalm 23. So let's look at them. Can you put the next slide up, please? Next slide. Oh, keep going through the scripture. Let's go over. Keep going. There we go. Perfect. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Provision and care. This shepherd, if you allow him to be a shepherd and you allow yourself to be a sheep, he is going to provide for you provision and and care. I love that Psalm 23 says that I will lack nothing. Ladies, God has brought us into such a relationship through his son Jesus Christ that you and I can literally lack nothing. That he will be our Jehovah Jireh, the Lord God who provides and he will meet the needs if we so surrender to him as our shepherd. What about care? It says I will lead you into green pastures. I'm going to make you lie down in green pastures. Ladies, your heavenly father cares for you. He understands that a warrior needs rest. He understands that a warrior needs time to be cared for and taken care of. And that is exactly what our God is going to do if we allow him to care for us. And we allow for him to provide for us. Go to the next one. Leading and refreshing Ladies, we say that we want to be led. So many of us pray, God, give my husband the ability to lead our house in such a way as a man of God would lead the house. All of us say we want to lead or be led, but we end up leading, don't we? Many of us say, God, we want you to be the leader in our lives, but yet you take the reins day after day. And this is true in my own life. My husband and I, we like to dance, right? We get to perform ceremonies, and we're not just your pastors that are going to do your ceremony and leave. We're going to stay a little bit for the dancing, not when it gets naughty. We are out of there. We're bouncing. But when you're doing couples slow dance, my husband and I love it, and I'll be dancing with Jeremy, and he'll say, stop it. Yes? (laughs) You're leading. I'm leading. But I want him to kind of go like this. And he's kind of turning us too quickly like this. And I'm not appreciating it. So I constantly find myself leading. (laughs) We want to be led, but we won't stop leading, ladies. We've got to learn to slow down. Slow down. And stop trying to be in charge of everything. You see, at seven years old, standing on the, or sitting actually on the top of the stairs, and watching this horrific fight take place between my mother and my father, it birthed a wound in me, and it birthed a wound of control in my life. See, wounds have symptoms, and my symptom was control, and I remember feeling at that moment, standing, or sitting down, and watching my mom and dad, that I'm never gonna go through that. Can you imagine a seven-year-old girl thinking, that's never going to happen to me. I wasn't sad at what I was watching. I was angry at what I was watching. And so my life, I became a perfectionist. I became a a young girl who, even in elementary school, if something was not done right and perfect, and even though I had spent three hours on it, I would wad up in a ball and throw it away. I wanted everything to be neat and orderly. I wanted it to be in control. Because if I had control of things, things were not going to hurt me. If I was in charge of my schedule and my plans, then it was gonna be okay. Because then if something bad happened, it was on me because I planned it that way. Try taking that into relationships. Try taking that into marriage where you are supposed to submit to your spouse, and yet you've developed this leading out of a wound out of need for control and anger and frustration. Ladies, that is a hot mess, hello? Hot mess. (laughs) That's not a recipe for restoration, that's a recipe for disaster. And so we have got to be willing to take the back seat in our lives. Because if we take the back seat in our lives, it causes us to trust that God is that good shepherd, that God is that loving shepherd. And how do I, Lindsay, know that I can follow that loving shepherd? Because it tells me in the gospel that when there are a hundred sheep together, and yet one goes astray, God will say, hold tight, 99, I'm going to go after the one. That is care for the individual. That is not just care for the corporate church. That is love and tenderness towards a woman. And that is what I needed from my Lord and Savior. And so we must allow him to lead. And you have to be refreshed. Say refreshed. Refreshed is not a Diet Coke through a (laughs) drive-thru. It's not. It's not. If you want to experiencing the refreshing of God where he will take you and he will refresh your soul and you will be by those still, don't we just wish for still and quiet waters? Oh, we want that. But you don't slow down to go get it. Those quiet waters are available to you every single day. The refreshing of your soul is available to you every single day. But we need to slow down and hear me. I know that you are busy. And I know that you are overloaded with responsibilities. But how do we get refreshed? We get refreshed by his word. We have got to be in our word, reading what God has for us each and every single day. Prayer time. And hear me if you're not good at praying by yourself, why don't you get a girlfriend and pray with your girlfriend? Call somebody, meet with somebody, pray, worship. I am not a singer. Oh my God, I wish I could be a singer. I'm not a singer, but I am a worshiper. And so with that music in my car, because I have a three-year-old, I have to sometimes go out to my car and I worship and I spend time in his presence because his presence is refreshing. Some of you are here this morning and this weekend because you wanted to be refreshed. You came to a conference to uproot yourselves from normal everyday activities. I pray to God your phones are off and your husbands are leaving you alone and your children have not bugged you, but you want to be refreshed here. You want God to beat you here, and he will. So we are refreshed. What else? We're moving through. Protects and comforts. Protects and comforts. We want to be protected. And that rod, that staff, was used by a shepherd to beat off and fight off anything that would come and would attack the sheep. And you may think when you are wounded, where was God in the midst of my wounds? Where was the protector when I was in trouble? I remember one evening, I was nine years old, AND MY MOTHER WAS STILL WITH MY FATHER, AND WE HAD BOUGHT A HOUSE BECAUSE WE THINK BUYING A HOUSE IS GONNA FIX A FAMILY, RIGHT? SO WE BOUGHT OUR FIRST NICE HOUSE WITH A POOL, HALLELUJAH, BECAUSE IT IS HOT IN LAS VEGAS. BUT MY DAD, HE gotten INVOLVED WITH OUR NEIGHBOR, AND OUR NEIGHBOR WAS A CRYSTAL METH DEALER. EVEN IN A NICE NEIGHBORHOOD, THERE'S CRYSTAL METH DEALERS. AND THAT CRYSTAL METH DEALER, MY DAD BECAME GOOD FRIENDS, AND MY DAD STARTED TRIPPING ON METH. AND ONE EVENING IN particular. I REMEMBER MY DAD POUNDING ON DOORS AND WINDOWS. HEAR ME, WE HAD A RESTRAINING ORDER. WINDOWS AND WALLS, SCREAMING, CUSSING, YELLING TO GET IN. MY SISTER WAS ASLEEP DOWNSTAIRS. AND I REMEMBER BEING IN A TRI-LEVEL HOME AND WE'RE IN A LITTLE STAIRCASE AREA AND WE'RE HUDDLED, MY MOTHER AND I. MY DAD CUT THE POWER TO OUR HOUSE. NOT ONLY DID MY DAD CUT THE POWER, BUT JUST IN TIME AS MY MOM WAS MAKING A 911 CALL, HE CUT THE PHONE LINE. And that was before cell phones. So here we are in the middle of a stairway. My mom's praying. I'm crying. What is going to happen tonight? And as I was reflecting with my mother, hear me, I had to get permission from my mom to come here and speak about this stuff. Do you know how hard of a conversation that is, both for her to give and for me to hear? But I felt that's what God was telling me to do. And my mom is such a wonderful woman of God that she gave me this information. And she says, Lindsay, I need to tell you something. I want you to know that evening that you remember I have a different memory. And I remember that there was like a bubble around you and I in that staircase. And I remember that I had no fear even though I had no power and I had no phone line and I didn't know if anybody was coming to help me. But I knew that nothing was going to penetrate that bubble. I knew nothing was going to break through and harm me and that your father would do nothing to us that evening. A cop came, my dad took off and we were taken another place. God is good. And ladies, despite our wounds and despite our horrible circumstances, we have to know that our God is a present God and he is a loving God. And if I were to tell you I know exactly why wounds happen and why bad things have happened to you, I would be a liar. I don't know. I have absolutely no idea except for that we are surrounded by humanity which is sinful. We are in a broken world. But hear me, I also know that God has come to bring his kingdom here on earth and that you and I do not have to wait until we're dead. So many of you think that all I have to do is die and then I'm going to experience peace and I'm experienced experience restoration and I'm going to have the no tears and then all of the joy and it's going to be wonderful. No, you can experience that now. God wants you to have his kingdom now, but you have to address your wounds. You don't have to walk around with a limp for the rest of your life. You have to be willing to get down to the nitty-gritty with the Lord. He comforts you. He protects you. Forgiveness without reconciliation. Let me explain this. He, David wrote that God's going to make me a table in the presence of my enemies. Okay. Some of you have been wounded by people. Some of you have been deeply cut by people. And we are so afraid as Christians to go down the journey of forgiveness because we think that God is gonna somehow make us lock arms with that person again. And I'm going to have to be in relationship with that person again. And honestly, my soul just can't take it. My wound is too deep that it would just cut me even further if I were to be in relationship again. Forgiveness is supernatural. And it does not, it is not based on you having to reconcile. You don't have to. You don't have to. And us being Christians, we think that we have to bear the weight of everything and come back into life. You don't have to. Let me explain this. When we forgive somebody, all you are doing is you're saying, casting your cares upon the Lord because he cares for you. So I am giving the Lord my burden, and I'm saying, God, you can carry my burden on the weight of the cross, and in return, you're going to give me peace. You're going to heal me. And in regards to this person over here, God, I'm going to release them of what they owe me. Forgiveness is releasing them of the debt that they have to you. Because hear me, in all reality, they really don't have a debt to you. They have a debt to him. And you're saying, God, I'm going to trust you that that debt is going to be collected, but through you. Through you. So ladies, do not be afraid to go down the journey of forgiveness because you think that God is going to make you reconcile. Sometimes he does. Sometimes he does. The, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, my mom had supernaturally forgiven my father. And one day she called him on the phone and she said, I want you to know you're worthy. You're worthy. And God loves you. And she began to minister to my father over 15 years of being divorced. Forgiveness is a journey. But God can supernaturally do it. Next sign, slide, please. Goodness and love. WE CAN FOLLOW THAT, HAVE THAT FOLLOW US ALL THE DAYS OF OUR LIVES. MOVE FORWARD AGAIN. NEXT. OKAY, THIS IS WHAT I WANT TO END WITH TODAY. SCARS ARE NOT WAR WOUNDS, THEY ARE BEAUTY MARKS. WE THINK THAT SCARS ARE SIMPLY REMINDERS OF WHAT WE'VE GONE THROUGH, WHETHER THEY ARE PHYSICAL OR WHETHER THEY ARE SPIRITUAL OR EMOTIONAL SCARS. I WANT US TO CHANGE OUR PERSPECTIVE THIS MORNING. I want us to look at scars, not as war wounds, but as beauty marks. And how do we do that? It means when I look back at the seven-year-old girl and I look at the wound that was incurred, I am reminded of the beauty of an ever-present God. I'm reminded of the beauty of a healing Holy Spirit. I'm reminded of the beauty of a God who brought me the most wonderful and gentle husband. I'm reminded of the beauty of God who heals and sets people free. And I've watched my mother go from victim to survivor to overcomer. And I've watched ministries birthed out of her life to those who have been abused and mistreated. And God has used her overcoming to reach others. So what do your wounds speak to? What can your scars speak to? Because there is beauty in your life. And if you just take a moment and say, God allow me to dissect some things and allow God, the spirit of God, to look into our lives at the wounds that we have and allow him to start addressing those things, you will be able to see the beauty of, the beauty of, and everybody is different. Although we may have similar stories, they are all different and unique in their own ways. So what I'm asking you to do, it's not going to be here. This is not the appropriate place. Actually, it could be, but it doesn't have to be, okay? You have programs. And in your program, you have reflection questions. What wounds are present in my life? Do not be scared to take a moment. And this is not going to be a drive-through moment. This isn't going to be a 30-second and I'm done kind of moment. But what kind of wounds do I have in my life? And I want you to allow the Lord to begin to speak to you. And do not be afraid to start writing things down. Next, if scars are beauty marks, to what beauty do my scars speak of? It is so encouraging to be reminded of what God has done in our lives. And by labeling our scars as beauty marks and speaking to what the Lord has done in our lives, that is going to help us tremendously. A lady asked me yesterday after this workshop, she actually asked me this this morning. She said, what do I do to start discovering these wounds? Because isn't it scary to kind of open up a can of worms? Whoo! Scary. (laughs) You want me to pull something back way out that I shoved in the very, very deepest part of my closet, and you want me to bring it forward? Are you out of your mind, you wicked, wicked woman? I'm not wicked. I'm helping. And what I told her is always, you can go to a counselor. There's nothing wrong. I sought out a counselor last year for the things that had stirred up in me that went back to seven years old, okay? Nothing, going to a counselor does not mean that you're weak. Another thing that you need to do is be prepared for a long haul. Don't be scared of bringing things up, but also do you have a mature woman in your church? And hear me, not just your friend, not just your girlfriend who you call when you're upset every time. I'm saying that you need to get in a relationship with a mature Christian, Christian woman who when she said, when you come to her and you say, this is a little bit of the story, and I'm looking for someone to pray with me and partner with me, that woman is gonna come prayed up to your meeting. That woman is going to seek the Lord on your behalf and is gonna come to listen to you because some of you just need to be heard. So that is my answer to that question, what do I do to deal with my wounds? You make it a priority, you give it time, and you are willing to partner with someone, whether it be a mature Christian woman in your church, a pastor, or even a counselor. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay, heavy stuff, right? Shake it off a little bit. Shake it off. Okay. I'm going to pray for you this, uh, this morning. If you have any other questions, I am available. I'm not leaving, so you can feel free to come talk to me. Are all okay? Yeah. we okay? Okay, we're in for some good words, okay? All right, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for each woman here and everything that she represents. I thank you for her past. I thank you for her present, and I thank you for her future. And I ask in the name of Jesus that you would give us the courage as a fierce warrior to be able to go and face the things that have wounded us. I pray in the name of Jesus that we would trust you with an unfailing trust, an unwavering trust in the name of Jesus Christ. That we would not fear the unknown, but we would trust that you take our hand and you are walking and leading us through it. And that we will experience healing, we will experience comfort, we will experience strength. I pray against, in the name of Jesus, any premature quitting in the journey. In the name of Jesus, let not one person start who will not finish. I pray for no premature quitting. But I pray that we would walk hand in hand with you to our victory. So I thank you in the name of Jesus that what the enemy intended for harm, God, you have turned it around for good, and you're going to use it for your glorious purposes and for the best things in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you, ladies. I'm up here if any of you want to talk.